<clears throat> well, there you have it. Uh, yeah, you have uh, the physical trainer with the gun show. You guys know John? Anyone know John? If I, took, if, I had, if I was wearing a shirt like that, I would look like that too, just so you know. But I think it's vain, so I don't. Um, but there you have it. You have the physical trainer who's training no one and the exercise guy who could obviously benefit from the experience of someone who's a little further down the road in their uh, expertise in, in lifting weights and weight training. You know, and if you were here at the beginning, some of you were, some of you weren't, if you were here at the beginning, you noticed two extremes on this whole thing of working together. The first, the opening song says, you and me together, we can do what? Anything, Anything right? Anything together, we can do it. And then you have this guy who's lifting weights by himself next to a guy who's training no one. Well, neither one of those two guys were accomplishing what they were trying to accomplish because they're doing it alone separately. Um, I have a little quiz for you here that I think is pretty interesting to demonstrate a uh, little bit of the idea of how working together exponentially uh, increases your potential. It's called the two-horse rule, and it goes like this. Uh, if one horse can pull 700 pounds... It's not, it's not a funny quiz, it's just a quiz. So if one horse can pull 700 pounds and another horse can pull 800 pounds, I'm looking for an answer here, how much can they pull yoked together? 1,500? Anyone else? No, it's not. They can pull, interestingly, 3,000 pounds. They pull the amount of their weight that they can pull plus the amount of their interaction. So they pull 1,500 alone, and because they're pulling together, they double that. There's a multiplication principle that's involved in that. Actually, the world record for yoked horses pulling is 5,300 pounds. It's pretty amazing. So you got a horse that's pulling 800 on its own, and with one other person, it pulls upwards of three to 5,000 pounds. It's pretty amazing to me. Uh, in Ecclesiastes, in the Bible, Old Testament Bible, there's this verse that says this. It's Ecclesiastes 4.12, and it says this. Uh, uh, one, one, one person can be, can be overtaken or might be able to defend themselves. Two, two people can defend themselves, but three, a cord of three strands is difficult to break. And the principle is this, that when you're alone, you're a lot more vulnerable. When you're together, you're a lot more powerful. And potential is increased. Uh, when I told, it was interesting, I was talking... Get, talking to my wife Susie uh, last night, kind of sharing what I was going to share today, and uh, I told her about the horse, the two horse rule, and her response was, was really good and very insightful. She she said that's why we should clean together. <laughs> so, uh, not really what I was looking for in her response. Was thinking spiritual, but uh, anyway. Uh, but you see that working together, you, you increase your potential. I have to tell you a little uh, something about myself. I, I, um, so if you know me at all, or if you've been here, you've probably seen me in the band, and uh, you, you, you know that I love the guitar. I love music in general, but I really, really love the guitar. And a little bit of my history goes like this. When I was uh, just maybe a little bit older than my son, Elijah, uh, well, actually when I was a year younger, my mom made me take piano lessons, and I didn't really want to do it. And I fought her the whole way, and then finally I, she, 
said it wasn't worth the fight, and she let me quit. And then uh, I, when I was about a year or two older than my son Elijah, I got the bug to be a rock star and I wanted to play guitar. And I saved up my money and I had enough money put together to buy a guitar. And my mom said to me, no, I'm not going to let you buy a guitar because you, you won't stick with it, just like piano. And I said, no, I, I will, I will. And she said, okay, well, then, then uh, if you take lessons, then I'll let, you, um, I'll let you buy the guitar. So I said, all right. And uh, so I went to my first lesson and decided that that was a waste of time. <laughs> and uh, I guess my mom just realized it wasn't worth the fight. And I quit. And so what happened, though, interestingly, uh, is that I, there was a drummer who lived three doors down across the street, a good, good friend of mine. And he, was, he was in a band, and uh, they practiced in his basement. And so all the amps and stuff were set up there. And so what would happen is I would go over to his house, and I'd just bring my guitar and plug into the amps, and he would just drum, and he didn't care what I played because he was just trying to play. So I'd play, try and play along with him. What happened was I actually got considerably better because I was playing with someone who was better than me. And then uh, about a year later, a friend, Brian Spicer, he, down the street, he moved in uh, about two blocks down, and he actually played guitar, and he had taken lessons, and he was really good. And so I'd go over to his house, and uh, he'd go, hey, we'll do this, and he'd show me how to put my hands and what to play, and I would play that, and he would just play solos on top of it. And then uh, eventually, I got to the point where I could join a band. In high school, I joined a band. And then uh, I went away to college, and I joined a band in college. I came home from college, I joined another band, and so on and so forth. It kept happening. Um, and I'll just tell you this, that in every single band that I played in, every single band, I was always the worst player. See, in that, I think that's the best place to be because I didn't have to carry people. I grew as a result of being in a band with people who were better than me to the point where uh, post-college, we're playing in a band. The band was called Billy Sunday, and uh, we got offered a record contract, which we ended up not signing, but a little trivia point. If we would have signed it, um, <laughs> focus, Mike. Not that. Okay, if we, if we would have signed it, we'd have been label mates with Brad Olson, our South Campus. At the same time, we'd have been on the same record label touring. So, uh, anyway. But the story of my persistence with guitar demonstrates a couple things that I think are really important that I want to share with you. The first thing is this. I knew what I wanted. I had the vision in my mind that I wanted to be a rock star, right? I wanted to be on MTV. I wanted to be playing arenas with the teased hair and the lycra pants and the whole thing. I wanted it all. I could see it in my head. And in that vision, I had arms like John in the video too. But anyway, the second thing is I had the vision. second thing is I worked hard at it. I would come home. I'll just tell you. I would come home from work. This is post-college, and I'd get home around 4 o'clock. If you know me, you've heard the story. I'd come home, and I'd flip on my amp, and then I'd just want to get home and eat. But invariably... I'd flip on my amp, and the next thing I know, literally, it'd be 1 o'clock in the morning, and I hadn't eaten, I got a headache, I'm like, oh, man, I gotta go to bed, I gotta get to work tomorrow. And so that's what I would do. And that was like seven nights a week, that's what I did. And I would just play my guitar, or I'd go to practice, and so on and so forth. Not a very social lifestyle, but it helped me. The third thing, so I knew what I wanted, I worked hard at it, and the third thing was this, that I had people in my life who shared the same vision with me. See, all of these bands that I was in, they all wanted the same thing too. They all wanted the teased hair and the 
leopard pants or whatever it is. They wanted to be rock stars too, and together, it was like the two-horse rule, and there are usually four guys in a band or five, whatever. We were pulling together. We wanted the same thing. We encouraged each other. We helped each other grow, and we stuck with it. We persisted. You know, uh, it's so funny. I get this comment a lot from people. They'll say to me, um, they're just starting to play guitar. They'll say, hey, um, so Mike, I'm just starting to learn, and um, my hands are sore. Is that, when when do you get past that? Well, kind of (laughs) never. You just got to keep doing it. And the point is, even with that, you've got to persist past the pain to get to something good. If you quit as soon as it hurts in anything, you don't get any better. I want to tell you this, though. Even though there, were, there was an area, there are areas in my life where I feel like uh, I really stuck with it. I persisted. I had the right people. I worked hard. There are also areas in my life where that opposite has been true. You know, obviously, physical training. I mean, come on. Serious. I'd love to, I'm a lover. That's what it is. I'm not a fighter. I'm a lover. That's why I look like this. But the problem for me is, truthfully, you know, you, you just, uh, I, I like french fries a lot. I mean, apples are okay, but french fries, are you kidding me? It, it's just the discipline of sticking with it. You have to know when to say no and when to say yes. Uh, I, wanted, I literally, in high school, also wanted to be a pro basketball player. No question about it. I was deliberate. I was going to be a pro basketball player. Again, you could probably look at me and laugh about that as well, but... Um, I remember watching Sunday mornings. I'd come home after church, and uh, NBA and CBS, it was always Boston Celtics were always on. That was my favorite team back then, and this is before Larry Bird. But Nate Archibald, his nickname was Tiny. He was uh, this little, tiny little guy, and he, he made the pros. But the interesting thing about Nate Archibald was that he didn't even make his high school team until his junior year. He persisted. He kept at it. He finally made his team, made the pros. And then one year, he actually was the first player in history to lead the NBA, in scoring and assists. Amazing. Only because he kept at it. For me, another one, I want to be a marine biologist. I just gave it up. Too expensive, whatever. I don't want to forget it. I'm not going to do it. But let me ask you this. How many of you can relate to this? There, there have been areas in your life where you feel like you really had a vision for what you wanted to do. And you can raise your hand when it's... You, 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 you had a vision for what you wanted to accomplish and you stuck with it, and you, you sought the right people to help you accomplish that, and together you achieved it. Anyone have something like that in your life? They feel like, I did it. That's kind of depressing. There's about 25% of you. I'm sorry for the rest of you, but um, it's actually a good feeling when you achieve that. But I would guess that the opposite is true for you as well, that there have been things in your life that you've desired, you've wanted to achieve, but you didn't persist. You know, maybe it is physically, like the video. You wish you were in better shape or had better health, but you didn't stick with it. You know, you see this show, Big Lo- Biggest Loser. You guys, any of you watch that? My, my uh, wife and daughter love that show. Um, and it just, I guess the, the season finale was just this week, and I, I watched it with them. And um, it's so interesting. They, they, uh, these people, here's what happens with these people. Their health is failing. You know, they're overweight, but that's, that's one part of the problem. But the biggest problem really is that they're going to die early because they're so unhealthy. Their eating habits, they're, they're living latent lifestyles where they're not exercising, their heart is dying. And then they go to this, 
this ranch or this training thing with these two trainers, right? And they get hooked up with these trainers, and these trainers make them work hard. And they give them tools. How do you, how do you eat properly? And give them lifestyle habits for the rest of their life to follow. And one of them, uh, one of the people they estimated, this, this young kid, they, they estimated he was going to increase his lifespan by about 25 years as a result of this. But the, but, the, but the deal is this, only if he sticks with the plan, right? Now, he had someone that gave him the plan and has told him how to do it, but now he has to stick with it. And he's probably going to need other people to come alongside him to help. But maybe physically for you, you're kind of going, yeah, I wish I, I was phys- physically in better shape. Or financially, do you have a plan? Do you know what you want to do with your money? Are you sticking with it? That's usually the problem. You, you get a plan, you go, I forget it, I'd rather do this. Or even relationally, let me ask you, is your marriage everything you want it to be? How about your family relationships with brothers and parents? Is it everything you want it to be? My guess is that if you were really honest, many of us would find areas in our lives where we haven't stuck with the plan. You know, any, anything you desire in your life only comes with a price tag, and that price tag requires perseverance and hard work. And perseverance, the thing about perseverance is, uh, perseverance is continuing when it's tough, Right? You know, um, you can continue doing stuff when everything's going great, right? That's easy. Perseverance is against all odds. Or when the going gets tough, the tough gets going. That doesn't mean you go. It means you stay and fight. Perseverance is a key. And I got to tell you this, that the very same thing is true of our spiritual life. And my guess is this this morning. That since you're here, this is a church, since you're here, you're interested in your spiritual welfare. And I want to take a minute to look at the biblical perspective on perseverance and partnership. And uh, if you're not really interested, just so you know, if you're not really interested in your spiritual welfare, these next 21 minutes and 13 seconds are going to be really boring for you. So doodle, okay? Because that's what we're talking about, right? But it's a church. That's what we do. Anyway, I want to share a passage uh, with you from Philippians ch- chapter 3. And before I do, I always I like to understand this. The Philippians, it was a letter written to a church in Philippi, uh, which, which uh, was probably about, I don't know, maybe 11 years old at this point. And, and uh, the author of the book, Paul, uh, he'd visited them, this church, uh, probably at least three times. Great relationship with this church. They'd, they'd uh, financially assisted him. And uh, they actually sent Epaphroditus, which is, that's a guy's name. Uh, they sent this guy, Epaphroditus, to help him through some physical stuff. And even in j- he was in jail. And so they sent him to help with that um, from this Roman imprisonment as well. So what, what happens is Paul decides to write them to say thank you. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. But also to encourage them because he'd heard that they weren't really getting along. There was some stuff uh, in the ranks where these people weren't really relating so well together and there was causing some friction, causing them to not be effective because they weren't working together. They weren't harnessed in the same direction. They're like two horses or two oxes pulling in opposite directions with some things. So he encourages them to figure this stuff out, okay? And then he says, because you guys are not living the life that God intended for you. 
And then he goes on, in, there's four chapters, and he goes on in each chapter to reiterate what that life that God intended them for them was. He says this in chapter one, he says, that living for Christ, living for Christ, not yourself, that's better. And then in chapter two, verse five, he says, and your attitude should be the same as Christ. What was Christ's attitude? Christ came to serve, the humble servant. And then in chapter three, he says, everything else, everything else besides living for Christ and having Christ's attitude is worthless when compared to the priceless gain of knowing him, verse, chapter 3, verse 8. And then in the fourth chapter, he says this, just like Dave Matthews, and I can do anything, I can do anything with the help of Christ who gives me the strength I need. It's pretty interesting, too, even looking at uh, the life of Paul who wrote this letter. He, so back on to him, is he, he was this really high-ranking Pharisee, very, very important religious leader in that, in that time. And uh, he, he was educated by Gamaliel, which that's sort of like back in that day, the religious equivalent of Harvard or Yale or, or the University of Utah. It's like that was really up here, prestige, the whole bit. He was a Roman citizen. Again, very, very high prestige. Uh, he was a Benjamite Jew from the tribe of Benjamin, which made him, again, one of the highest he was a member of the Jewish council, and here's kind of some interesting stuff. To the point where, as a uh, devout Pharisee, he was actually persecuting the Christians. See, he wanted the Christian faith to go away. He was killing people to stop them from perpetuating the Christian faith. He actually held the coats of the people who stoned Stephen, who was one of the apostles, and consented to his death. And then an interesting thing happens to Paul on one of his Christian-killing missions. He's going on the, the, the road to Damascus, and all of a sudden a light hits him from heaven, and he falls off of his horse, and he hears a voice from heaven, the voice of God. He says, stop persecuting me, please. I have a better plan for you. You need to live for me, not yourself. And he gives his life to Christ starts following him, becomes the writer of the majority of the New Testament. Radical life change for this guy. Now we get to this passage in Philippians chapter 3, and he says this. With all of that as a background, here's what he says. Not that I have already obtained all of this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of... uh, uh, excuse me, to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me on the Damascus road and thereafter, I'm guessing. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to the, win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I was reading this, and at first it caught me off guard because he says, this one thing I do, one thing. I forget what's behind, I strain forward. I'm like, what? You just said one thing, you just listed a whole. And I realized he's not really saying those things. What he's saying is I do one thing, and that one thing is this. I win the prize. See, just like me, I wanted to be a rock star, and I was doing everything I could to become a rock star. 
Now, there are a lot of things I needed to do to help me become a rock star. And the same thing is true with Christ. And, and what Paul's saying is this. I strain to win the prize. And what is that prize? The prize is pretty simple. That he says at the end of verse 14, God has called me heavenward. So first part is this. The prize is to spend eternity with God. That's part, the first part of the prize. And I've got to tell you guys, many of you may believe that being a Christian or a follower of Christ is all about getting to heaven. And I'm going to tell you here today, that's half of it. But it's not all of it. Because the second thing he says is this. In, in chapter 3, verse 8, right before he says this, everything else is worthless when compared to the priceless gain of knowing him. What is he saying? Yes, getting to heaven and spending eternity with God, that's the prize. Additionally, knowing Christ today. See, because when you really know someone, it changes the way you think. To have the attitude of Christ, like he said, means I think differently. I know him here today, and I live differently as a result, and one day I end up in eternity with him. So I want to look at just a couple, what he says about about knowing him and winning the prize. So how do I win the prize? Well, I think there are five things that he talks about here that are pretty, pretty obvious taken from this passage. The first thing is this. He says, first of all, in verse 12, not that I have already obtained. So I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to share something with you here. Uh, kind of got flip sides to the coin here. So Paul, again, the writer of most of the New Testament, dramatic conversion experience, says, I have not reached it yet. I'm not there. I think you need to give yourself some grace. How many of you guys beat yourself up because you think you should be better at something or you don't feel like, ah, oh, man, I just, ah. Oh. Well, Paul hadn't even reached it yet. And the flip side of the coin is this. You need to be humble too. You're not all that. And you never will be. But with each day, you can increase in your ability to be what you desire. Many of us know people who are all that. They're not humble. They know it all. Not very attractive. It's just not. And it's not how we're designed to be either. So the first thing is you have to know that you haven't obtained it yet. And I'm going to just encourage you with, with, with a couple things here. Uh, if, if you... We do this thing, that we, we started this thing, the 50-day adventure, and some of you guys, you know, Troy had it on his ankle in the video, and I've got it on my wrist. And Here's the thing. I just, I want to be really clear with you guys on this. We started this thing, and I don't know how many of you have taken it, but I encourage you to take it if you, if, if you haven't taken that 50-day adventure because it, what it does is it helps you evaluate areas in your life that you can improve on, and it gives you tools to increase in that. And here's the thing. When this 50 days is done, you're not done. You're not a completed. You won't have obtained. You will have completed your first step in the right direction. And you can start again with another thing or continue on the same path with the 50-day adventure that you've already been working on. You see, the whole point 
of the 50-day adventure that we provided for you guys is an opportunity for you to grow and develop, just like the people on Biggest Loser, lifelong habits that make you a healthier person. And I'm not just talking about physical health or emotional health. I'm talking about your spiritual relationship. So if you haven't done the 50-day adventure, I encourage you to do that. We don't get, we don't get money off of that. It's, it's just for you guys. We, I'm doing it right now. It's just something to help. So first, you have to know that you haven't already obtained. Give yourself some grace on that. The second thing is this. For, you have to forget your past. And interestingly, in, in this chapter, right before, he says, he, he, right before he says, I haven't obtained and all this stuff, he, he goes through and he lists all of his pedigrees and all of his uh, accomplishments and, and, and his heritage and all everything. He goes through and he says, this is what, you want to see what I got going on? Look at this. But he also talks about how he persecuted violently and killed Christians. And I'm going to tell you guys this. This may be a linchpin for some of you today. You have got to forget your past on two levels. One, how great you are or have been or what you've accomplished. And secondly, the things that create guilt, that weigh you down, that tell you you can never be what God desires because it's false. You have a person like Paul who persecuted Christians to the death. Why do you think he said you need to forget your past? Do you think he struggled with this? And many of you may be sitting there today going, I just, I can't. And I'm telling you today with all of my heart, yes, you can. But you have to forget your past. The third thing, so first, you haven't obtained, forget your past. And the third thing is this, focus on your goal. Hebrews 12, verse 2 and 3 says this. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Focus on your goal, number three. Just as Jesus set his eyes on what was before him. And what was before him was not so glorious in the immediate. It was a cross that brought death to him. Gruesome, painful death. But the goal was to provide salvation for us. And I got to tell you, you know, for whatever, whatever it is, there are many reasons why you, you get off your focus, but once you pick the thing like me being wanting to be a rock star, that was what I was going to do, and the other stuff just had to get out of the way. Sometimes you might fear rejection from people. If I do this, my family might reject me or my friends might reject me. If that, if being rejected becomes your focus as opposed to following him, well, you've made your decision. And I'm going to tell you this too. Oftentimes, we set our goals by not setting our goals. If you don't know what you're shooting for, I guarantee you won't hit it. The third thing is this. And when you focus, I've got to tell you this. You need, you need to avoid the distractions, the thing that, things that come against you staying on your path. The, the fourth thing is this, you need to strain. And that's pretty simple. 
You just have to do the hard work. Sometimes I don't feel like doing this. And guess what? How many of you, if you have kids, how many of you said that to your kids? I don't care what you want. You have to do it. How many parents said that to you? Well, of course they have. Because if we only did what was easy and good, French fries, if we only did the things that we liked, we wouldn't grow. So you just have to persevere. When things get hard, you have to stick to the plan, which if you don't have, you won't know what that is. And the fifth thing is this, press on. I want to tell you, you know, I love Bible stories in my seven minutes and five seconds. I, I love Bible stories. And so I'm going to tell you a story. This is in uh, 1 Samuel. Uh, we, you won't see it up there. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 14. And uh, I, want to, I want to just read this to you because it's a really cool story. And so just, just a little bit of background on this before I go ahead and read it. Is here's what's happening. So King Saul is the king of the Israelites, and they're going to battle with the Philistines there, you know, arch nemesis, right? And uh, what's happening is the Philistines are up on this embankment or this big hill, big cliff, and they're there. And the Philistines are in this valley, and they've been there, and they're camping out. It's like they decided not to go to battle, but instead go on a camping trip. That's about what it came to. All their military people are here, and they're just kind of sitting there. Well, Saul's son is Jonathan, and he can't take it. He's tired of just sitting and being on a camping trip. Because the vision of what Israelites were to accomplish was to defeat the Philistines, and they weren't going to do it making s'mores over the campfire. And he knew it. So he decides, it's time for me to press on. So I'm going to skip through some verses and read some stuff. If, if you want to check this, First Samuel chapter 14, here's where you can read this at home. It says, one day, Jonathan, son of Saul, the young man who uh, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come on, let's go over there and see what the... Let's, let's go look at the Philistine outpost. Let's go across to see those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle, whether he has many warriors or only a few. Do what you think is best, the youth replied. I'm with you completely. Whatever you decide. Point one, his partner, running partners we call him sometimes, I'm with you. Whatever you believe needs to happen, we're a team. We're going 3,000 pounds together, 800 alone. All right, then Jonathan told him, we'll cross over and we'll let them see us. And if they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we'll stop and not go up. <laughs> Logical. But if they say, come on up and fight, then we will go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. I'm not going to read the rest of the story, but I'm going to tell you what happens. He goes up and he starts fighting. And he kills 30 Philistines in about an acre of area. And the spirit of panic breaks out in the Philistine army. And an earthquake hits. And the Philistines flee. They start to disperse. And the campers look up and they go, huh? 
Let's go. And they jump on and they go and they completely obliterate the Philistines because of one person who refused to stop. You know, quitters never win, winners never quit, and the only thing that guarantees defeat is what? Quitting, right? So here, here's what I want to tell you about this. You have to press on it. And I'm going to just three things that, that I think are key to this process. To press on, you have to do three things. We find this in Hebrews chapter 12. And it says this. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So the first thing is you have to throw off the stuff that hinders you. If so, you know, you can't run a race wearing ankle weights and expect to win, right? Put on your parka and your snow pants and try and win a sprint. Well, you're not going to. It hinders you. It's just the stuff that slows you down. But he also says this. There's stuff in your life that's slowing you down, and there's also stuff, and he calls it sin, that entangles you. The stuff that's in your life. And I'm just going to be really honest this morning, you guys. Some of you have things in your life you need to let go of so you can be, so that your hindrances are gone. You need to get rid of those distractions, those things that keep you kind of off the path a little bit. But there are also things that you have in your life, and I do too. And these things are like this. They're called sins. They're things that I know are wrong and damaging to myself and to others, and they don't honor God, and I won't let go of them. If you desire, again, my assumption is you're here because you're concerned about your spiritual welfare, but if you desire spiritual growth and you hold on to things that are either hindering you or tangling you up, you will not grow, period. That's the way it works. Because you can't have great spiritual growth and hold on to things that prevent you from growing. It's it's pretty simple. Throw off your hindrances and the sin that entangles. The second thing you have to do is this. When you press on, when you persevere, you have to sow to please. Galatians 6, 7 tells us this. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man sows what he reaps. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature he will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap the eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Again, are we sowing to please ourselves? Are we holding on to the sin that entangles? Or are we sowing because we know that the better way of living is pleasing God? So to please him. Throw off your hindrances, so to please him. And the third thing is this, and you saw this at the beginning with the song and with, with the, the video that we showed up front. Connect yourself with others. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 tells us this. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the days approaching. 
Again, connect yourself with others. Don't be the solo guy. Don't be Troy working out in the gym with the trainer right next to you. I'm gonna, two things. This works two ways. I, boy, I'm a lot of twos today. Two things. The first thing is this. If you desire growth, seek someone out that can help you grow. Simple, right? Secondly, seek someone out that you can help grow. See, because this Christian faith isn't all about me. It's about us. So often, I just can't... uh, What are you doing to help others? Again, winners never quit. Quitters never win. The only thing that ensures failure is quitting. I, I was on... The, uh, the web the other day, and I, I uh, came across this really cool video on YouTube that, in my estimation, really captures the essence of what being a follower of Jesus would be like if we were persevering and if we were in relationships. I want to, guys, check this out for just a minute. Derek Redmond in the best form he's shown since he broke the British record. He was in great shape, you know. He, he was had a chance, possibility of maybe getting a medal there. The Cuban Hernandez has got uh, Redmond to aim at, and so too in line number three is Steve Lewis. But Redmond's got off very fast indeed, and so too is Ismail of Qatar. Down the back straight, he's the fractional leader. Father of Nigeria has gone very quickly, and Redmond has broken down. He's on the track, kneeling down, and Derek Redmond, on his injury problem, the jinx has struck again. Running down the back straight, I heard a funny clap or a pop, and I honestly, for a split second, thought I'd been shot. Uh, And then, obviously, I realised I've I've pulled a hamstring. And then when the pain sort of died down, I remembered where I was and what I was doing, and I remember thinking, quick, you're in the Olympic semi-finals, you prat, get up and start running. And I got to the 200 metre mark after hobbling 50 metres and looked across and all the guys had finished, and it pretty much hit me that, you know, it ain't gonna happen, it's all over. I would have laid there. You know, to be honest, there's no way I would have got up, because hamstring, when you got a hamstring, you know you got a hamstring. He just wants to finish. His dad's trying to run under the track to stop him. He's going to tell him, Derek, don't. The old man went to put his arms around me, and I was just about to try and push him off because I thought it was someone else. I didn't see him. He sort of jogged from behind. And uh, he said, look, you don't need to do this. You can stop now. You haven't got nothing to prove. And I said, oh, I have. You know, get me back into lane five. I want to finish. Now in the greatest arena in sport, he's getting the cheer of the games. I would never have wanted to be in Derek's shoe at that time. You know, it was a sad moment. It was a, you know, a great moment, you know, in the sport, to be honest. It's a figure, a picture that just stays in your mind forever because you don't want to see any athlete having to go through that. You just knew how destroyed he was and just how much that race meant to him. Hmm. It was from the 92 Olympics in... uh... You probably caught a couple things. He says, I, I felt someone uh, coming to stop me. They thought dad was coming to stop him, right? Hmm. 
dad was coming to help him finish. Again, he says, first I thought I got shot, then I realized it was my hamstring. Then I realized where I was. I got to finish. So what he does is he gets up, starts hopping. And that picture of the video demonstrates exactly what the Christian life should be like. That when we break down, people in our life come alongside of us to carry us to the finish line. And we realize in our own mind, I'm on a race. I've got to finish. I can't quit just because my leg hurts right now. question I have for you guys this morning is, is pretty simple and straightforward, is what do you want? Again, you remember my assumption at the beginning of the service was this. You're here because you're concerned about your spiritual welfare. It's going to ask you, are you satisfied with your life spiritually? Maybe you are. Maybe you feel like you're really in a great place. Well, then help someone else. Be dad to someone Maybe you're not in a good place. What prize have you set your eyes on? Is it a self-motivated thing or is it a spiritual thing? You know, the, 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 the Bible offers us the fruit of the Spirit when we come to Christ. Love, joy, peace, patience. Do you want those things in your life? You want something else? Pick your prize and go for it. I believe that every person here today is in one of three categories. Category number one, you're going, Mike, shut up. I want to go get lunch. You know what? Deal with it. You're here. You're in church, okay? I don't really have much to say to you, but I'm talking to everyone else. Category number two is this. You're saying this. I feel as though my life could be better. And I go back to the verse where Paul says, not that I've already attained, because my thing is this, if you feel like you've already achieved, then you probably need to go back to realizing you haven't already attained. And if you have, if you feel like, yeah, I know my life could be more than it is, I'm going I'm to, what do you do? Throw off the hindrances, the sin that's entangling Connect yourself with others. Take the 50-day adventure. And the last group, the third group is this. You're going, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm in. I'm not sure I'm willing to surrender. And to you, I'm going to ask, here's the question I ask for you guys. If you're going, I don't know. I don't really know if I need this. Here's my question for you. How's your life? Do you desire what God wants? Peace, patience, love, kindness. What kind of fruit are you bearing? What fruit is falling off your tree? The fruit of love or the fruit of selfishness? Look around. Do you want a life that's self-absorbed or others-focused? I'm going to pray with you and um, I'm going I'm to ask you to join me as we pray. But before we do that, the band, you guys can come on forward here.
I just want to ask you to imagine something here for a second. I want you to imagine a life where we or you were filled with love and those that surrounded me were loving me. I want you to ask yourself to imagine a life where you were filled with joy and those that were around you were joyful and patient and kind and so on. See, because do you want the life that looks like the video you just watched? Or do you want the life like the video at the beginning where I'm doing my own thing See, this is exactly why Christ came to earth. To provide for us a way that's better than the one we pick on our own and try and run on our own. So here's what we're going to do as we close out this morning. In just a minute, the band and Candace is going to lead us in worship as we finish the day. And I'm going to pray with you. And this is something we don't do all the time. But I'm actually going to ask you guys, just close your eyes. And just pray this with me, if you would. And first, Jesus, I, you've created all of us. You love each and every one of us deeply. You know us. You know our hearts. You know our desires. You know our failures. You know our successes. You know where we've stuck with it and where we've fallen off the track. And for those of us, some of us have never even gotten on the track here this morning. And for those of you who desire to move forward in your life, I'm going to ask you to pray this just in your head with me as I pray this morning. Lord Jesus, help me throw off the hindrances and the, thing, the sin that's holding me down. Jesus, I feel weighted down by things and I need to let go of those and fully surrender every area of my life to you. I need people in my life that can help me put those people in my life. Change me into the person who you desire for me and give me the life that you've given to me, which is the life that's living for Christ and the life that has the mind of Jesus, who considers everything else garbage compared to knowing you. And for those of you who are in this place where you're questioning, you're, you're questioning, you're saying, I don't know, do I want to do this? I'm going to ask you to take this first step of getting on the path this morning. I'm going to ask you to pray this with me. Lord Jesus, forgive me. Change my heart. Change the way I think transform my hands into the ones that act the way you want me to act. I receive you into my life this morning and may from today forward never be the same. I forget my past and I move forward. Jesus, take my life completely. I surrender to you because we were made to worship you, not ourselves.
We thank you and we love you. We receive from you. We ask this in your name. Amen. One last thing I'm going to do before we go this morning. I'm going to be really bold here, guys, okay? If anyone this morning, anyone here, prayed either one of those prayers, either to say, I'm changing my life today, or I'm receiving you for the first time, I'm going to ask you to stand up right now. Praise God. not going to fear rejection or what others are going to think. But I'm going to tell you this, guys. If you don't have someone in your life, you need to find that person and we can, we're willing to help you. The second thing I'm going to say to you, if you received Jesus for the first time today, after the service, I'm going to be sitting right down here. Do not leave without coming to talk to me because I want to help you take the next step in what it means to be a follower of Jesus.